I had some major anxiety about that. I, I'm like waiting for the shoe to drop. Like I, I feel like everything has gone so well and I know what I can do. I don't need to think about what's gonna go wrong. I just need to think, nope, this is my day and it's just gonna go well. That was Natasha Wodak. And this is episode 124 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn and I'm a road runner. And I'm Kim and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Today, we're honored and very excited to be catching up with Canada's fastest female marathoner, Natasha Wodak, after her brilliant run in Berlin on September 25th. We dug into all the details of that magical day, including some of the challenges she faced in the days leading up to, as well as in the early miles of the race. We discussed what it feels like to run a 1 minute 28 second negative split to smash the Canadian record previously held by Melindy Elmore, and why you might consider this strategy for your next race. We nerd out on her mind-blowing splits of that 223.12 result. She tells us about finding and compensating her pacer, Tony, and we hear about many of the incredible people on her support team. Natasha has quite the running resume over her two plus decades in the sport. She is a two-time Olympian and has represented Canada at numerous world championships in the 10,000 meters as well as cross country. She tells us how she's managed to keep it fun and fresh over the years and whether or not there is any pressure associated with the title Canadian record holder. After recording this interview, Natasha was officially selected to Team Canada for the 2023 World Athletics Championships for the Marathon in Budapest this summer, and she won the first half half marathon in Vancouver in a time of 1:10:17. From our vantage point, she is well poised to earn a spot on our 2024 Paris Olympic team, and her next goal is to secure the standard of 2:26:50 at the London Marathon in April. We covered a lot of ground in this episode, so please join us in welcoming Natasha Wodak to the show. Okay, well, we are here with Canadian record holder in the marathon, Natasha Wodak. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been about about four months since your record-setting run in Berlin. And uh, first of all, congratulations. Are you still on cloud nine or has it fully sunk in by now and you're back to business as usual? <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've come down off of cloud nine, um, but we did celebrate for quite a while afterwards. Good. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot of champagne drank. Uh, <laughs> drank? Drunk? whatever. <laughs> um, lots of good times, lots of good food, um, lots of celebrating as we should. It was um, a goal I'd wanted and a dream and lots of people were involved in um, that race. And it wasn't just me out there running. It was a whole team. So I was able to celebrate with all the people that, you know, helped me get there. So that was really fun. Um, but yeah, we are definitely back to business. Um, I have another marathon on the horizon. So we're, you know, after that next goal. Yeah. Okay, well, we we want to get to that next marathon, but first, let's relish in Berlin for a second, if you will indulge us. Now, I know that you went over to Germany a couple of weeks or a week ahead of time, and you were having a little bit of trouble 
with your sleep or acclimatizing or something to getting used to that time change. Do you want to tell us about that? Because I think sometimes when these amazing runs happen and, and a Canadian record and a big Canadian record, we think everything must have been just absolutely perfect on the day. But it doesn't, I've listened to you in other interviews, it doesn't sound like the lead up was absolutely perfect. So what was happening with your sleep before Berlin? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we always think that when someone runs really, really well, that like you said, everything was perfect. And honestly, that's usually not how it goes. There's, we're all dealing with something. That being said, everything else was virtually perfect. Like I had an incredible summer of training. So I showed up in Berlin, the fittest I have ever been in my life and feeling so good and so confident. So when I got there, I had a few good sleeps, but I, I woke up on the third or fourth night, like at like three in the morning, covered in sweat with a really bad headache. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I have COVID. I got it on the flight. Like just, you know, and then I couldn't fall back asleep. Like day three is always the worst, I say, with um, jet lag. And so I was in a bit of a daze the next day and I didn't want to take any like sleeping pills because I had used those to get over the initial jet lag. And I was like, more than three days in a row, they can be addictive and blah, blah, blah. So I just tried to fight it. And it was really, it would suck because I would, this headache was like, I think dehydration and jet lag. Um, And then I had a little of anxiety around like not sleeping properly. I think everybody Mm -hmm. does when you have a big run coming up, you're like, I need to sleep because I know how important it is. But, you know, a couple of days before my race, I chatted with my coach who has a PhD in like physiology and sports exercise and is knows all about this stuff. So he was like, I know you don't feel like you're sleeping, but you're in bed from 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. until 8 a.m. You're getting a lot of rest. So that has a lot of value. And so Mm -hmm. that made me feel a bit better. And one thing that I have learned, um, I'm not sponsored by them, but I I just got a whoop band because I wanted to track my sleep and I wanted to see, because I wake up a lot. So I, I constantly feel like I'm not sleeping enough, but I... I am. I fall back asleep right away. So all these times that I think that I'm not sleeping, I actually was getting more sleep than I thought that I was, which is very interesting to see. Oh, I I did wake up a lot, but I was falling back asleep very quickly. So I still, I think I might've been sleeping more than I thought that I was, but like there was a couple nights where I woke up at like three or four and that was it. But I had gone to bed at like nine. So I was still getting, you know, Yeah, you're still, your body's still still. So I'm just going to interject here with a question about that awareness of your sleep. Did it change your feeling of restedness in the morning, being more aware that you slept better? And I'm like doing air quotes here. So like, does the change in awareness that you were sleeping more than you thought actually change how you perceived your feelings of being recovered in the morning? Or did it make any difference? Well, that's just very recently. I've only had this for five days. So, oh, um, okay. Okay. So it'll be interesting to note and track maybe, you know, maybe it reduces anxiety, but you know, if you, if you're aware that, yeah, theoretically you're sleeping better, do you actually psychologically feel more rested and perform better? I don't know. I will report on my social media. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I actually had a follow on question to that too. So you said everything in the lead up until the sleeping problems was perfect. Like it was actually really, really good. So is there a part of you that, uh, freaks out when that happens? Like, oh my gosh, everything actually is really good. I have nothing to hang my hat on if I suck in this race. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I had some 
major anxiety about that. And I did, um, I was doing an interview with Maddie Kelly for Canadian running because they did a little story on me. And I was talking to her like five days before the race and I was in Berlin and I was like, I'm, I'm like waiting for the shoe to drop. Like I, I feel like everything has gone so well and I know what I can do. And it was so good to talk to her because she had a very similar story. She was like, I remember being, you know, Maddie Kelly is an Olympian in the 800 meter. And so she was like, I remember being in California for this race and it was the night before. And I was just like, I'm so fit. I'm here with my best friend. We're having a great time, everything. And I was just like, it's too good to be true. And she's like, you know what? It wasn't. I went out there and I ran really well the next day. And so that made me feel better. I was like, yeah, I don't need to think about what's going to go wrong. I just need to think, no, this is my day and it's just going to go well. And so, yeah, like the, the night before the race, I called one of my best friends, Lindsay Tessier. She lives in Toronto. She was ninth at world champs in Doha. So she's, and she's run Berlin. And I just started crying. So I was like really like anxious and, she just like, it was, you know, talking me off the ledge and like, so it's normal that even when everything goes right, that you're going to be nervous, something's going to go wrong. And, you know, the night before the race, I wasn't able to fall asleep and I was crying. (laughs) And my, I asked my boyfriend, who's a doctor, I was like, can I take a Zoplicum? It was a sleeping pill. And he was like silent. And he's like, um, I don't know. Hold on. So he's like, researching a little more on everything. And then like a few minutes later, he's like, you can take half. So he was looking at the half life and like, so I took half, I slept like five solid hours and I woke up and I was like, kind of back to your question. Like, I was like, I feel rested. And I was like, I'm good to go. Cause I knew that I had slept even, I knew five hours was sort of my, like what I need before race. And so that even if I had any effect of the Zoplicone in me, it didn't, I was just like, I'm good to go. And yeah. I was like, I got out of bed and I was like, this is going to be my day. And I just was like, right. it felt so good. You're in the zone. You're in that yeah. kind of perfect arousal spot, right? To, yeah. to go in and perform. That's amazing. So the race starts and you get to, for people that don't know, you, you elite people, you get your own tables, right? With your bottles. And so you mm-hmm. go to, you get to 5K, your bottle's not there. You mm-hmm. get to 10K, your bottle's not there. How in the world do you not freak out when that happens? And what did you do? Like, how did you stay calm? Uh, you know, it's funny that you asked when I was thinking about that today and how it could have gone so wrong. Like, if I hadn't had the rest of my bottles because the rest were there, it could have been, you know, a nightmare if I didn't get any of my fueling in. But it could have been also been like I could have borrowed fuel and I could have got it done, which would have been, you know, a really cool story too. But, um, and also like I ended up taking a Morton gel, which I'd never had before from a random guy that was running with me. And I was just thinking like, what if that didn't settle well? Like it was a risk. And I knew that it was a big risk when I was in the moment. But for me, I, I played around with gels through that build. And I'm so glad that I did because I knew that no matter what gel I took, I was fine. To me, it was just a matter of taste. Mm. So I went through like five different gels, you know, before mm. Berlin and none of them had any effect on me, like my my GI. So I was pretty confident that I took the Morton and I would be fine because I knew it was so important to get fueling in, especially because I missed the 5K. And so, yeah, that was definitely worrisome. But Tony, who was pacing me, he had bottles. So he was like, don't worry. Like if the rest of your bottles aren't there, you can share mine. Like we will get it done. And they did have gels on course as well. So 
obviously it wouldn't be ideal. And I, I did have some anxiety about it, but I was like, this is out of my control at this point. I just need to keep calm. And so. Oh, this is, this is interesting. And this is another one of those maybe foolish ultra running questions, but in ultra running, if you have a pacer, they're not allowed to support you in any way or share any of their fuel or their stuff with you. So when you say you could have shared your pacer's bottles, is that the bottles he had left at tables for himself or was he carrying bottles and giving you bottles as you were running? They were off the tables. Oh, okay. We're all allowed to share. So oh, you can share with anyone. Like at the Olympics, I grabbed ice from Melindy. Like I grabbed water. She would grab water. Like you can all, and if you ever watch, you can see teams like the Kenyans often are sharing their bottles and stuff. Yeah, you're allowed. Is to this that. only at, at transition areas or is it on course as you're running to? On course. Fine. But you can't take oh. anything from somebody on the course. Like I couldn't take something from my boyfriend. Like if it's not from an official bottle table, you cannot right. take it, right? Yeah, like, okay. So that makes sense. I couldn't take anything from a random stranger. Right. Well, <laughs> okay. that speaks to what a pro you are, I think, too. Yeah. To, to have the foresight to, like, try different things in training. Just, like, I don't know if you did that intentionally. Like, oh, I'm going to try all these different gels in training so that if anything ever goes wrong in the race, I know that I'm good to go, like, with five different brands. Or is, was that just happenstance? <laughs> well... If Jim and Mary are listening, they're going to laugh at this because I'm always like, you know, don't try new things. Like if you know that something works, but I had been using goo gels and I really liked them, but I had asked them if they were interested in and sponsoring me and they were like, no, we don't ship to Canada. And so I was like, I need to like start trying some new gels to see if I can maybe get a different company to like, I can be an ambassador for them. Like, um, so I showed up one day. I don't know, six or seven weeks for Berlin. And I had like a honey zinger and like, I don't know, a couple other ones. Jim and Mary were like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. I want to try some new things. Like maybe one at a time, but I had like a variety pack that day. And it was fine, right? You know, they kind of laughed at me. They were like, don't you know better? But I'm so glad that I did that because it gave me the confidence to know I can handle various gels. So yeah, I still maybe that's part of how you kept calm in that moment is just, oh, well, like I can, I can pretty much take anything. Now, Jim and Mary. So I I actually had this down as a question. I see them a lot on your social media. They come and help you out. They ride the bike when you're doing session, like big sessions and things like that. Who are they? Oh, Jim and Mary, they're just the best. So they have been there. Like if you ever go to the Sun Run or BMO Marathon, any Vancouver race, they're always the elite athlete volunteer coordinators. So they're like in the tent oh. helping you out. They're awesome. So I've known them forever, okay. right? And they've always been there. And then when Lynn Kanuka started coaching me in 2017, she lives out in White Rock. They live out in White Rock. And they're really good friends with Lynn. And so they were like, well, like, do you think we could start coming out to some of Natasha's training? And I was like, oh, I would love to have them there. And then my parents also live in White Rock. And so we realized that my parents actually live like two blocks from Jim and Mary. So they all became friends. Anyways, um, and it just evolved over time that they became so involved in my running. And then when Lynn stopped coaching me about a year and a half ago, my new coach Trent lives in Victoria. So he's not here to support me a lot. And Jim and Mary were just like, we'll be there for all your big sessions And it was amazing having them this summer, you know, like I had a lot of big sessions and they were always there for me when I needed them. And 
they're like family now. I just love them so yeah. much. And they're a part of the team and they, yeah. when, when I do well, they're, they're super excited because they know how valuable they are and what a difference they've made in, in, in my life and in my training. Yeah. That is such a cool story. Like I, I'm actually glad I, I asked, cause I thought, is that a dumb question? Like, oh. I feel like I should know who these people are because I thought that, that maybe they were your parents, but then I'm like, do, do many people call their parents by their first name? I don't know, but, um, that's very sweet and that's so nice of them. And I think you're starting to speak to some of this. It's an individual sport. You're the one out there running a 223-12, like mind blown marathon. <laughs> but you've got this team of people around you that you couldn't do it without. Absolutely. Yeah. Shout out to Jim and Mary. Yay. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I have a team. A lot of them are like all across the country. So I don't have anyone in Vancouver to train with. And, you know, this summer doing my big marathon sessions it's almost impossible to do that alone. I need people out there, you know, handing me water, you know, mm -hmm. talking to me, helping me with my gels. It's really hard to do that stuff on your own. Like you'd have to like set up your bottles all over the place. And then when mm -hmm. you throw them, how do you get them back? Like I had mm -hmm. to do one session like that and I had to go out beforehand and strategically place the bottles. <laughs> and like, it was just, it was really hard. It was a lot harder. So yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and they, they're very, Jim's really funny and Mary's just so caring. So they kind of bring the best of both worlds. And when I'm having mm -hmm. a hard day, they're just so supportive and, you know, it means the world to me and it makes it a lot of, a lot more fun because you have to enjoy it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, you saying that. And I think, you know, the, the recreational roadrunners like, wow, that would be nice to have someone handing me stuff. But here's the thing, everybody, you are running like in this marathon, let's just break it down for people. You ran a 223.12 marathon and we have some listeners that speak in kilometers and others in miles. So that is a 324 per kilometer pace or a 528 mile for 26.2 miles in a row. You try picking up like a paper cup from a, a table <laughs> running that fast. Like you're running so, so fast. And this was just, Natasha, like a brilliant marathon. You executed probably, like I was watching that day on the, on the computer and I was just seeing your splits come up and you ran a one minute and 28 second negative split. Like you went 112 and change through the first half and 110 and change through the second half. Like that must have felt so good. Like we, I'm always banging on as a coach about a negative split. If there's something tell that me, gets Carolyn excited, you know, it's a negative split. <laughs> it, is. it is. So <laughs> tell me what it feels like to run a one minute and 28 second negative split compared to the other way around, which I'm sure you've had marathons where you sort of hit that wall and, and drag yourself to the finish line. Like what's the value of a negative split for the recreational road runner? It's a lot more fun. Let me tell you that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I still, I, I like, I mean, I don't know how I, I did that. Like, I know I, that I did it and I know that I trained hard, but on paper, 223.12 didn't make sense to us. And like, my coach is a numbers guy and a charts guy, like science guy. And he was like, you know, I thought 224, like low was like going to be a really, really good day. Jim said 223.45 would be like, you know, like my very best day. And so, wow. you know, when I went, I went through one twelve twenty, which was like perfect, right? Where I wanted to be. 
and I felt really controlled and really good. And that the tricky thing about the marathon is that when it feels easy or like really controlled in the first 10K, 15K, you're inclined to pick it up because you're like, oh, I can run harder than this. And that's the mistake that a lot of people make is, oh, I can run. And so they do. They run three, four, five seconds per kilometer faster and it'll just catch up to you instead of thinking, no, okay, I, I can, I'm running exactly what I said I wanted to run. I don't need to change my goals now because it feels too easy. Like trust the process, like trust, like a mistake a lot of people do. They go out too hard because it does feel easy. And so I I had to keep reminding myself, it's supposed to feel like this. It's supposed to feel like this, like, because it's going to feel like this until it doesn't. And And that can be like within a kilometer, right? It can change. Yes. I was, you know, as good as I felt, I was really scared that like it could change like that. Mm-hmm. And I was very lucky that my pacer, Tony, was phenomenal. And I was, I turned my auto split off my watch. That's another piece of advice that I give people. I had it um, so that I would just hit it at every 5K mat. So it was an official 5K split. And that way you have a little more wiggle room. So instead of it yes. being, oh, I'm two seconds off per kilometer, it's like I gave myself 10 to 15 seconds per 5K of where I wanted to be. So yes. And that's what I tell my athletes to do as well, because I coach as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, get off of that oh, every single split because your GPS can be off and you don't need yes. that anxiety of every kilometer. So it's too right. much information, right? Too yeah. much. Well, data. And they're going yeah. by in three and a half minutes per kilometer. That's like a lot of information coming at you <laughs> like really fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you, so you were monitoring the 5K splits and I think your slowest 5K split was 1712. Early yes. on, and then your fastest fight, you brought it down to sixteen thirty-seven, between thirty-five and forty k. That must have felt like you were flying at that. Yes. Point. And were you ever afraid you're going to hit a wall? So when I went through the half, I was like, okay, I'm. I literally have ten second wiggle room to get the Canadian record, which was two twenty four fifty. So I was pretty confident at that point, like that we weren't going to slow down. But I, you know, I was still like, I don't know, like. I feel really good now, but what happens when I pick it up? So I said to Tony, let's slowly start to um, pinch it down. So like the next 5K, I think was like 1705. I was like, no, we like need to bring it down. And then we went 1655 from 25 to 30K. And I could feel that we picked it up and I was like, perfect. Like, let's keep it there. That's all I need. I was like 224 low. That's where we're going to be. Like, I feel good. And at 30K is when you say... To me, it was like, okay, I can like, I can let loose of it. And I said, let's go. And there were other women that we were catching at this point. So that was really exciting. Oh, and yeah, I could see, we could see them off in the distance. So I just started following Tony, you know, and we were, you know, catching women and going by them and it was kind of a blur. And then when we went through 35K and it was 1637, I think, or 1638, I was like, whoa, like, a little, I was a little scared. Like that was really fast. And I didn't realize we had, we were running quite that fast. And I was like, Oh God, like just hold on. Right. Like cause seven K is still a long way. So, um, you know, we just continue to just, it's kind of a blur and I'm just following him and I'm, I'm feeling good. And then around 38 K I was like, this is really hard. And I said to Tony, I was like, okay, this is really hard. Like how much have we slowed? 
And he was like, that was like a 315 or something like that. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh my goodness. So it felt really hard because that had been one of my fastest kilometers. And oh, of so, course. yeah. And then I was like, okay. Like, so I was just sort of like trying to do the things. I knew it was going to be a hard last 4K. So I was going through all the things that, that I was taught, like my little checklist. So like take a deep breath, breathe into your stomach, relax your arms, like control what you can. And I had kept sort of riding, running up next to Tony when I needed to relax and go behind him and continue to trust him. So mm-hmm. I, I did that a couple of times where it was like, let him do the work. Let He's here to help you. This is when you need him. And we, yeah, like at 40K with 2K to go, like I passed another woman and I was just like kind of at that point, like holding on fear to her life. I had something kind of hurt in my foot and I was like, just get to the freaking line. Like you're so close, <laughs> but I could feel it starting to go backwards after 40 K. I mean, I ran 321, 321. So it's not like I slowed down that much, but I could feel that was my, I was maxing out, but I never hit the wall. Like I did like in Arizona at the Olympics when I was like, really suffering I didn't feel like I got quite to that point but Mm -hmm. then I was crippled after Berlin so (laughs) I guess I I know (laughs) you want to get into some of that but I'm just curious how far did Tony pace you the whole way the whole way yeah he's with you the whole way wow yeah that's a gift it was a gift. yeah and and how do you find a pacer was that your job or is that something as an a6 athlete that they provide for you no, that was um, that was me. So Tony used to live in Vancouver, and he was a coach for a mile marathon out here. And I'd met him before, and he had ran the Houston half marathon the year I set the Canadian record, which is funny enough. A lot of people don't know this. He went by me in Houston, and I I like went with him, and so I set the Canadian record there that day. And he was like there, which was funny. Oh, cool. So, anyways, he moved to Germany. And I followed him on Strava and I could see that he was training for, I think it was Amsterdam, but he was running Berlin. And so I was like, I bet you he's, you know, going to be in that range of where I want to be. So I reached out to him and was like, this is about four weeks before, maybe five. And I was like, hey, I see that you're running Berlin. Like maybe we can work together. And he was like, I'm actually looking for a pacing gig. Like basically like, what can you offer? What are you trying to run? So I talked to my coach and we, we came up with a pretty enticing, I thought it was a good good plan. Like he got more money how far he went and how fast I ran. So he got the oh. full amount. Yeah. If I, he went to the end and I set a Canadian record, he got like the full amount. So. Oh my God. And that yeah. was just you being creative with a contract? Like what, what do you learn as a professional yes. athlete? Like how to oh, draw so these fast. contracts? This No one talks about this. I love this conversation. Yeah. It's an important thing to talk about. And I, I had asked some other people. Um, it's funny because I actually talked to Kira D'Amato about this when we were there as well, because she brought two personal pacers. So we asked like, what do you pay? And this and that. So I had talked to Trent, my coach who knew a little bit more about the racing scene. His wife was in a lot of races in Europe and stuff where they have a lot more pacers. So he had an idea of how to form this and yeah, Tony actually came back and like negotiated a bit. So we agreed on it and we agreed on an amount that we thought was fair and, I was more than happy to pay him that um, when, you know, when I, when I ran the record and everything. So, and he had it, like he had a blast and afterwards he was just like, that was so fun to be a part of. And that's what I was going to say. Like he's enticed by the, the 
potentially by the paycheck at the end, but also I bet you he gets so invested in in your success too. So he was part of the team too, and I hope you Absolutely, all got yes. it. What did you do to celebrate? Well, after the race in Berlin, um, my parents were there and my brother and my nephew and my partner and also two women that I coach who are good friends of mine, they were there running Berlin. So mm, cool. yeah, it was really fun. I had lunch with my parents and then uh, we went for dinner and then we went for drinks and I met up with Tony and his wife and his baby and a bunch of other people. We went to the after party. Like it was, it was really fun. But by I think 10 o'clock, I was like, I am tired. I'm exhausted. Like I'd had like a couple glasses of wine. I'm like, I you don't really feel like drinking much, or at least I don't after a big race. So we came back and then we went on vacation in Germany and uh, Mallorca. Mm, yes. Lovely. Yes, lovely. Nice. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, I probably could talk to you about Berlin all day, but just closing the loop on like when it got hard and when you felt yourself starting to slow down there, it just reminded me of our conversation about the lead up when you weren't sleeping well, like when's that other shoe going to drop? It's almost like it keeps coming back to like control what you can control. What's that checklist that I do? What's my breathing? What's it doing? But also trusting the process and being patient and leaning on Tony, letting him do some of the work, right? So it's, I think there's lessons in here for all of us, no matter what speed we run, you know, there's actual things that you can do to kind of calm yourself down and keep yourself in the, in the moment and not starting to freak out and catastrophize. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, we've gone through this in my workouts and when you have to practice it, right. In order for it to become natural Mm -hmm. in in the race. So, you know, for years, it hasn't, it hasn't come easily. It's been years and years since I started working with Lynn where we've created what we call my checklist and I'm always glad to share it with other people. And so it's going through. And by the time you're at the end of the checklist, you have been able to focus on other things. So that initial pain or that I can't do this is going away because you're like, okay, what am I doing with my breath? What am I doing with my arms? What am I doing with my core? you know, like quick on your feet, like all these things you're thinking about and then repeating your, I think one of the questions you had was your, do I have a race mantra or like a, Mm -hmm. you know, and I do. So when I'm running and it gets hard, I continue to compete. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Mm -hmm. Like on repeat. Mm -hmm. And it really, really helps. So I always tell everybody like whatever it is to you, I am tough. Yes, I am tough. Like a lot of people have, and just continue to repeat it and all like, and then you can't actually hear the negative. And all of a sudden yeah. you're like, oh, wait, yes, I can. I am doing this. Oh, I am. This I is my race. That. Like for me, it was like, this is my race. This is my record. This is my day. Like, you so it. I continue yes. to like say those Control. things out loud. And yeah, um, yeah I've, I've grunted and yelled things out loud before too. <laughs> Well, this reminds me a little bit of Sally McRae in my world. She's a trail runner, elite trail runner. And she, her mantra is, can you or can you not perform right now? I don't care how you feel. Can you perform? (laughs) That was what she keeps saying over and over again. Can you or can you not perform? And you're saying, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. And it just drowns out everything else. I love that. Yeah. So, so much. Okay. Well, we all know that the highs wouldn't be quite as high or, or sweet without the lows. And we just love you for keeping it honest and real over on social media all the time. And so this amazing run in Berlin was followed up by a little bit of trouble 
getting back into the swing of things after you took your, you know, planned end of the season break or whatever. So can you tell us a little bit about um, some of the struggles that you had coming back into running after Berlin? Yeah. Um, initially, right after I had some pain in my foot, which I was a little concerned about, um, <clears throat> I wasn't sure what was going on. So either way, I was like, well, I'm not running for a few weeks. So I had the time off, um, but I got COVID. <laughs> and oh. so I couldn't do like anything. Like I felt I was really, really tired. I was tired from the marathon, but then I was like really tired from COVID. So normally after a marathon, I would be a little more active. So when I did start running again, it had been like two full weeks of literally nothing. And so it just felt that much harder to start being active again, like without even doing like any biking or any like, we like we weren't even really, we were barely walking. Like it was, yeah. And so I, I felt pretty just gross and my osteitis pubis flared up pretty bad, which is like mm. um, inflammation of the pubic, uh, pubic symphysis in the front. And I've had it for years and years and it's usually like pretty dormant. It doesn't really bother me. This time around, it was very angry. And so mm. everything around there was hurting. So like my, where my quads, like my hip flexors, like, and all my tendonitis flared up and my arthritic toes were so angry. And it was just, I felt crippled. Like I honestly felt like I broke my body. Like it was really hard to get back into it. And I tried to be patient, but I was really frustrated. And I was like, am I going to be able to do this again? And so it was about two full months before I was able to do a workout and felt like pain-free in terms of like, okay, I'm over it, which is a really long time when you're like, other people are like, you know, racing again and I can barely do a workout. But um, my body did, you know, the silver lining is it did come back. It just needed a little more time and that's okay. You just got to be patient. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then I got sick, like again, in early yeah. December, mid-December and then again in January so um it was kind of like two steps forward one step back yeah yeah that had to have been disappointing because you were slated to run this the Houston half which is where you had set the half marathon record back in 2020 is that right and you're gonna run it again and yeah you won't you didn't have the record anymore right you set it and then Andrea Sakafian set it like 0.5 seconds later and <laughs> she's had it ever since then right yeah so was yeah. the plan to run Houston and try to get that back because you definitely your marathon fitness lines up with you being able to take that record or even maybe go below 69 minutes yeah like we weren't we weren't really sure what I could do in Houston but I was just sort of going to play it by ear and get there and see how I felt in the first 5k because it was a bit of a rough Christmas with the snow that we got. I had to adjust some of my workouts. And there was another day that I was I was sick. Oh, no. <laughs> so I had a few set and that but then I was feeling good again. Like the first right. the first week and a bit of January, I was like, okay, like I'm actually pretty fit. I think I can do something good in Houston. And then I got really sick and I missed a, a few weeks. But I'm okay now. I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm back at it. Yeah. So yeah. we all have setbacks um, and it's just a part of the sport. So you just got to be yes. patient and, and it always comes back. I'm all, I always come back stronger. So. And with this all comes back to trust and patience, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I, I look on the bright side and I'm trying to be grateful. Like 
I didn't have a stress fracture or I didn't have any injury that literally took me out for like, I just had, you know, my body just needed a bit of time to recover and then I got sick. But at the end of the day, I've been very fortunate and been quite healthy over the last, you know, especially the last seven years, six years, since 2016. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about sort of your present day stuff, but you have been running for a very long time and you've had incredible longevity in the sport. You've been competing at a high level. I mean, you went to uh, the Olympics in 2016 for the 10,000 meters. You've competed at numerous world championships, right, in the 10,000 and even cross country, I think, right? Yeah, I've been to three world cross, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you attribute your longevity to? Because not a lot of people last as long as as you have in the sport. (laughs) Well, I did take some time off after college. But I mean, that was back in 2000 and from 2006 to 2009, I was just like recreationally running, but I've been training pretty consistently and pretty hard since 2010. So 13 years, but I also didn't start really doing the marathon that seriously until 2020. So in 2017, when Lynn Kanuka started coaching me, um, I had been dealing with a few different injuries that kept popping up and things were just. Yeah, a little difficult. We we changed the way we did things, um, which I think has resulted in where I am now is making these changes, you know, five years ago or six years ago, which was more soft surface running and an increase in cross training. Um, and knowing that like, you know, I was in my mid thirties, mid to late thirties, like I have a lot of miles in my legs already. So I don't necessarily need to do the same thing that a girl a woman, a lady, young lady in her 20s would do. I have that in me still. So um, it was great, you know, having Lynn give me that perspective. And I've been doing really well and staying healthy. Like I still cross train about three days a week. And almost all of my easy runs are done on soft surface, which I think has made a big difference. And so I always, you know, tell other women and men, but women, especially, because I coach ladies, um, you know, give yourself every advantage to avoid these like, you know, overuse, um, impact injuries, get on the soft surface. There's nothing wrong with swapping out a 45 minute run for a bike or an elliptical every once in a while. Like you're still working the aerobic engine, but it's not the same impact on the body. So that's what you got to do when you start to get a bit older. Yeah. So when you say soft surface, what does that mean to you? You know, for a trail runner, that means running on chip trail or dirt. What does that mean to a a road runner or a track athlete? Essentially anything that's not the pavement. Okay. So like treadmill, track, elliptical, no? Soft surface, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't really consider the treadmill soft surface. Okay. Um, Okay. I, not myself, but I mean, maybe there's new brands of treadmill out there that are soft. I don't know, but I find it quite hard on my body, but that's because I never run on the treadmill. Um, I would say like, for me, I like very gentle trails. So like, okay. Yeah. um, Like Stanley park trails are very Mm -hmm. nice. I'm in there Mm -hmm. like four to five days a week, like Burnaby Lake, Pacific spirit trails, like those kinds of things, hard packed dirt, um, hard packed gravel, even grass, getting on the grass once in a while. Not every day. Don't go out and run on the grass. Yeah. That will be very hard on your body. And don't run barefoot. Please don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) 
that will destroy you. So we won't um, go there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but definitely getting on the, um, on the soft surface when you can, I think makes a big difference and it's enjoyable oh, that's out in the forest. Yeah. Okay. So you do do a little bit of trail running. Oh, yeah. Sort yeah. Of. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But not out here in North Van. It's too technical. I would die. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll sacrifice significant speed for that and injure yourself. Yes, yeah. exactly. So you've spoken a little bit about your coaches. You said you're currently coached by Trent Stellingworth. And in the past, recent past, you've been coached by Lynn Kanuka, formerly Lynn Williams. So she's a, a Olympian in the 3000 meters, right? From the 1984 games. And the 1500 meters in Seoul in 1988. Right, right. So how has your training, would you say, differed under these different coaches or has there been a lot of overlap? Yeah. So when um, Lynn retired from high performance coaching in October of 2021, a year and a half ago, uh, I was really upset. I did not know what I was going to do because like, I love this woman. <laughs> she is like family. Mm. And we had had so much success and so much fun doing it. Like Lynn is just the best. I don't know if you've ever met her, mm. but she's just like this ray of sunshine and positivity. But at the same time, is so tough and so gritty. And so she, you know, was such a gift as a coach to teach me how to perform at the high level and like perform in a 10,000, how to kick, how to use my arms. But then this soft motherly side that was there for me when I needed her emotionally and like mentally. So I'm so lucky that I had her for those years. And I was like, how is anyone going to take her place? Like, this is just, there's, these are the biggest shoes to fill. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And it was, you know, it was hard. And then I thought, I don't want to leave um, Vancouver. Like I'm too old to go to some training group in the U.S. It's not happening. So who's going to coach me? Like, what am I going to do? And then I knew that Trent Stellingworth was coaching Melissa Bishop. And like, that was it. And I'd known Trent for years because he was the lead IST, integrated support team. He was our head physiologist for Team Canada on almost all the teams that I was on. So I've known him for years and years. He put together my heat and nutrition plan for the Olympic games. He helped um, put together Melindy and Cam's marathon builds. Like I knew like he would be the ideal coach, but I was like, I don't know if he's taking on any athletes. Like he's so busy. So Lynn and I kind of reached out to him together. Like Lynn was so involved in the process of helping me find a new coach. I'm so grateful for that. And he was like intrigued. And so we had like a few phone calls and he like talked to his wife, Hillary, who's a, like the head coach at UVic. And he talked to Lynn and he was like, I think that, I think we can make this work. I think it'll be great. And so I was really excited and they worked together over the first few months to help me with a smooth transition. And we didn't change much to what we were doing. And Trent was so open to like, listen to what Lynn had to say and what I have to say and he's just been a phenomenal coach and I couldn't have asked for any better of a transition and the way that they've worked together. And like Lynn still comes out to my sessions when she's in town and just sort of like rides along. She wants to hang out with Mary and Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are our best buds. Um, so yeah, which is really great. So I kind of feel like I have two coaches, you know, which yeah. is, I'm very fortunate and you know, Trent and I have changed a few things, but it hasn't been overwhelming. It hasn't been a big change. And he's always asking me for like my input and how I feel about things, mm. which I love. And 
Um, I think it's really important that athletes have a say in what they do and what makes them happy. And so yeah. it's been a great transition and I've really enjoyed working with Trent and he's since taken on a few more athletes. His wife actually coaches Jen Malone, who is our 3000 meter steeplechase Canadian record holder. And Trent has taken on Gabriella Stafford, who is our Canadian 5000 and 1500 meter champion. And then there's two other girls. Julie Labach is an 800 runner. And Kate Ayers is going to world cross champs. So we we all live in different places, kind of. Three of them are in Victoria, but I get to now, like I'm going there tomorrow and I have oh. a big workout and Gabriella is going to do the workout with me. So how cool is it that oh. I get to do a workout with, you know, Gabriella, who's a phenomenal athlete, but she's, she's just coming back from injuries. So we kind of are like meeting and she's doing my half marathon workout with me. So if you're listening, G, thank you for, <laughs> for doing that. Well, it yeah. sounds like you're, yeah, like we've got some amazing facilities, amazing coaches and like stunning, you know, places to run out West, right? Mm-hmm. So why would you leave to go and do something you like to be near home? I've heard you say like you love Vancouver and yes. So this just all sounds perfect. So is there like an official group? Do we have a name for this group? Tell us more. Yes. So we had a team building session in the fall, which was really fun. Uh, And we we decided to call ourselves Victory Athletics. So um, that includes like Trent and Hillary's athletes. So the the, the elite women, that's us. So there's like six of us. And Though we all live in different places, we have a group chat and we support each other that way. And when when we're in town, we, we try to get together to overlap workouts and whatever. And like when I was there in the summer um, for some sessions before Berlin, Gabriella and her husband rode their bikes with me to support me, which was just so nice, right? Like that kind of thing goes a long way. So um, it's great run community out here as well, as you know. Like we're so lucky in our run community that you can go to various different cities and random people you don't know are like, hey, you want to go for a run? I'll take you for a run. I'll take you to this trail. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it seems from, you know, the outside that all of these Canadian runners and you're speaking, it's not just marathoners. Like we've got 1500 meters uh, runners, 800 meter runners, right? You're all kind of working together and collaborating, it sounds like, and and elevating, lifting each other up. Right. And so it appears that way from the outside but so as that was one of my questions is like does it just appear that way or is it really like that and it really sounds like it is like that hey I I mean for me it is I think too because I am out here sort of on my own and I'm very social I love to run with people I like to be doing things so I do find doing things on my own a little bit isolating so I'm constantly like who's doing what who's doing what and like Natalia (laughs) Hawthorne lives in North Vancouver She's a 1500 meter Canadian Olympian and we did a workout together on Wednesday, right? It was kind of cool that like we could come and meet in the middle and I'm chasing her around. And (laughs) so, yeah. And like, just always reaching out to people like, Hey, who wants to go for an easy run or I'm in town. Do you want to do a workout? And like, um, so what role do you think this has played in, in all of your individual successes? Oh, it's huge. You know, it just brings a lot more joy to the sport to be able to share it with people and to go out there and have fun and work together. Um, yeah, I just, there's more enjoyment in it, I think. And when you're enjoying it, you're going to be more successful. I think everyone kind of knows that if you're happy and you're probably going to compete better in, I think in all walks of life that goes 
you know, with your job, if you like your job, you'll probably be a little more successful at it. So yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I wish our listeners could see you on screen right now. At some point, we might have to start showing our video because yeah. you really just started to glow when you started talking about the athletes in Victoria and, and Vancouver and what was it? Team Victory. Victory Athletics. Victory Athletics. Yes. And um, you just lit up and it's not cognitive, it's subconscious. And you obviously really thrive on the people around you. So it's an important thing. Well, I think too, part of it is that a lot of these young women, I look at them as sort of almost like little sisters because I've known them since they were juniors. Like Gabriella and Natalia were both juniors on the world cross team with me in Poland back in 20, 2013 or 2015. There's a picture of them. And so like, it's so nice that they are like all grown up and Olympians and running so well. And so I love being able to like do workouts with them. And like, I've just yeah. known them for so long. And so it's pretty awesome. <laughs> well, this is a great segue into, you know, one of the things we wanted to ask you was, what message do you have for younger athletes who are developing in the sport or maybe even master's athletes who are still trying to get the most out of themselves? So what do you tell some of those younger athletes that you're training with? And, and as, as they grow up, what are you trying to share with them? Patience. <laughs> uh, it, takes, it takes time. Nothing comes easily. Um, um, you know, and find a coach that that you gel with, that there's good chemistry with. If you have a coach that you're not jamming with, like find a new one. That's really important because mm -hmm. it will kind of make or break if you're enjoying the sport. Make an effort to meet up with people for runs, you know, <laughs> cross train when you can. <laughs> don't run yourself, take rest days. I think that's an important thing. Um, don't overdo it. Yeah. And just like yeah. have fun with it. It's supposed to be fun. At the end of the day, it is supposed yes. to be fun. And so you're telling me even when you perform at the highest level on the world stage, it can still be fun. Of and you can still prioritize that. Yes. <laughs> no, I just, yeah. I believe you. I just want to like not let that be lost or skipped over. Like it's, yeah. it's still important to have fun even when you're running your best. Well, yeah. let me tell you, yeah. I do work very hard and there are sessions that aren't fun. Like yes. <laughs> keep it real here, right? There's days when mm -hmm. I'm tired, it's raining, it's cold, and I'm out there alone and I'm like, mm -hmm. this sucks. But mm -hmm. I'm like, it's what makes me tough and I know it's gonna be worthwhile. And then you know what is fun? Getting home, having that hot shower, going yeah. we have a we got a hot tub this year, it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Going in the hot tub, having a nice glass of wine, and then being like, I just did that, right? I yes. think anyone out there that lives in Canada in the winter knows when you get home from a hard run, everything else tastes better. Everything is just the best feeling. Yeah. So, you know, in those moments it sucks, but afterwards it's, you know, even better. So. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Um, switching gears a tiny bit. So we're talking a lot about you're the Canadian record holder in the marathon. Does that come with any pressure? Is there a, a kind of pressure associated with that now? Uh, like I want to hold the record or, you know, if the record gets broken, it means that the depth of, of Canadian women's running is improving. So in a way that can be exciting mm -hmm. or do you want to hold on to it forever? Cause I think like Lynn Kanuka's record stood or, or maybe even it still stands, right? So some of these records go on and on and on forever and others get broken really quickly. So where do you uh, come down on that one? Do you have a preference? So 
I was thinking about this because Melindy is running the Seville Marathon on February 18th and she's really fit. And so I think there's a strong possibility that she will break that record. And um, I'm okay with that, right? Like Melindy is super talented. And I, and like you said, I want our sport to be elevated. I want to be setting the bar higher and higher and to inspire young women, you know, um, and no one can ever take away that moment when I broke the record in Berlin and when I broke the half marathon record and the 10,000 record that have since been broken, no one will ever take those moments away from me and the celebrations and what I achieved on those days. So that's what I always remember is I got to do that. I did something special. And if it's broken again, well, it's broken again, but um, I'll always have what I had in Berlin and afterwards. So yeah, that's all you can do. I I love that. Like the, the relationship, it seems that you and Melindy have, you've been racing each other for decades, right? Like you're both BC athletes. You've been racing each other for so many years. And what was her feedback when you broke her record in, in Berlin? Well, of course she, she texted me and said, I'm really happy for you and congratulations. So, you know, she's a class act and we're friends. So, you know, I, you know, I knew she would be happy for me as happy as you can be when someone breaks your record. I mean, you know, let's be real. Like when I've had my records broken, you know, there's always that bit of like, oh, yeah, yeah, but it is what it is. And you're happy for the individual because absolutely. it is bettering our sport. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So recently you teased on Instagram that you will be running a spring marathon. Uh, you said, I love what you did because you kind of teased it out. You got everyone's guesses, took screenshots of them and, and posted them up. And so there were lots of, lots of Boston guesses. Now we didn't touch on Boston yet, but you ran that in 2022 and it wasn't your day. And hello, we've all had a marathon when it's not our day. It just, there's no rhyme or reason for it. You were fit. It just wasn't your day. You said, nope, not ready to go back to them, (laughs) which I loved. And then you said no to grandmas no, because it's a net downhill. I feel like grandmas is kind of like cheating a bit. Sorry to everyone that's run it and you have a PB there, but come on guys. You know that there's like a tailwind and everyone's PBing Mm -hmm. there. Like there's a reason. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) A cheater course, sure. But I also think a lot of people don't realize like a lot of marathons aren't like certified for qualification or records. So I, we have to be careful. Like if I want to set a record or I want to qualify for the Olympics, which is my goal, right? The Olympic mm-hmm. window is now open for the marathon. So I, I can't go in like Eugene. People were saying that. Nope. That's a no go. Grandma's a no go. Boston is also a no go. Yep. Right. Like those are all. Is CIM a no go? Probably. CIM is definitely not. Eh. Yep. <laughs> no. Yep. Yeah. No. So you got to be careful what you pick and know yeah. that it is. Well, I thought maybe we could spend a little bit of time talking about that because I think our, the way that our Olympic selection takes place is a little confusing, even for Canadians, right? It's very simple and straightforward in the States. Like they have a trials. If you come one, two, three, you're on the team. It's not that way in, in Canada. So can you walk us through, like, because it plays into what races you select and now that this window is open. So talk to us a little bit about it, and then we want to hear what race you did select. Sure. So our Olympic criteria actually isn't out yet. We just know that the window is open. It would be very helpful if the oh yeah, the that Athletics was kind Canada of released our um, criteria. <laughs> that being said, we just had our world championships 
the criteria released like a week ago, you know, and that's this summer. So hopefully we will get the Olympic criteria out sooner than later. We have heard uh, rumors because there was a meeting between Athletics Canada and a lot of the Olympic hopeful marathon coaches. So we have an idea of what will happen. Um, so it's looking like there will not be a trials in Toronto like they had before Tokyo. That is being taken out, um, which is ma- it's great. It makes sense because it's only seven weeks after World Championships this summer in Budapest. Mm, so yeah. you can't do both. And you want your best athletes to compete at World Championships this summer. Mm-hmm. And so there will be no trials, most likely. So it's just going to be basically your best three marathoners in Canada will be selected. Now what they're doing for the world championships and what they will likely do for the Olympics is they're pre-selecting up to two people early. So we will know on February 7th, up to two athletes for this world championships. So Mm -hmm. it is very fingers crossed and it's, I'm hoping that I will be selected for this team uh, for the summer's world championships in Budapest, um, which I would love to run. Um, and that will be not, not my spring marathon. That will be my summer marathon. Um, okay. So it's really nice that they're pre-selecting early because it gives you an opportunity to prepare better, but there yes. will still be an yeah. open spot for someone that may try to qualify this spring. So we're hoping that that will be, the situation for uh, Paris. So I want to give myself the best chance possible by running uh, spring, summer. And if I have to um, something in January, like possibly Houston would be my last. Yeah. Um, and just try to run the standard, which we know is two twenty six fifty. They've taken almost three minutes off the standard. Mm-hmm. Well, they're hoping that um, basically you can still qualify by your world ranking as well. So Okay. If you don't run the standard and you're ranked in the top 85, three per country, you can be selected that way. And I think I'm currently ranked 42nd, three per country. Can you still qualify by coming top 10 at a world champs too? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's very confusing. It is. Yeah. And top five at a platinum. This is just mind numbing to me. I thought ultra running was confusing. Just run the standard is what I say. We just, we want to go this spring and get the standard under my belt. And then there's also talk that if you are top eight at world championships, that could be an automatic selection to the Olympic team if you're the top Canadian. So that's also an incentive to run at world championships. Top Canadian and top eight. We don't know. This is all like hypothetical. So. Oh my gosh. But I can see why you'd want to kind of knock it off early in the window, right? So you're not leaving it all the way up to the very end. That would be very stressful too. Okay. So you're running a spring marathon and, and potentially the world championships in Budapest, right? Is that what you said? So, um, so what is this spring marathon? Well, if you want to run fast, you got to, you know, pick a, a fast and flat marathon. So we're going to London. We're running the Yay! London Marathon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There were lots of London guesses, and that yeah. was my guess as well. So yay, I'm happy to have chosen correctly, and that'll be very <laughs> exciting. What's the actual date of it? April 23rd. Okay. okay. Yes. Well, we cannot wait to follow along with that. Now, you've never done the London Marathon before, I don't think? No, I'm really excited. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be... 
It's going to be awesome. It's a great field. There's lots of fast girls to chase. So it'll be coolish still there. Shouldn't be too hot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, best of luck. Can't wait to follow along. And you said you'll be doing some, some races in the build up to that the first half in Vancouver. Yes, I'm running that, and then I'm running the New York Half Marathon in March. Okay. Yay. Okay. Well, again, very excited. All anytime you line up, it's always a lot of fun to to follow along. So we'll be watching for that. Uh, now, final final topic I wanted to touch on: some of your fastest times, as we've been speaking to, have been set as a Masters athlete. And uh, compare and contrast for us how running has changed throughout the decades. Maybe specifically, does it feel different in your body? Are you more or less grateful to be in the sport as you age? Like what kind of physically and mentally has changed for you? Yeah, recovery definitely takes longer. Um, So um, just trying to be patient. Like I said, when I had advice for (laughs) young people or older people is is to be patient. Um, Start off easy, right? My easy runs, I'm ease into them. don't worry about what your watch says. Take your easy runs easy, um, respecting your body, um, and just knowing that, yeah, like I am older and it takes a little while longer to get going and that's okay. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, easing into it. I would say, too, that everything after Tokyo has just been like icing on the cake. Like I've accomplished kind of everything that I could have ever dreamed of. You know, I had set Canadian records. I had been to two Olympics. And so now I just feel grateful that I get to do this and I get to, you know, I'm a sponsored athlete. I get paid by a company to run and travel the world. Like how cool is that? And Mm -hmm. so I feel really grateful. And Melindy, she says, she'll say the same thing. Like we run with gratitude. Like we feel so lucky to be in our forties and doing this and getting paid to do it and loving it and performing and breaking records. It's really cool. So I think, there's a lot less pressure. Uh, I think you'd ask me a question about, do I feel pressure as a Canadian record holder? And the answer is no. I just feel really fortunate to do this. And there's no pressure because, I mean, I feel like I've done everything that I want to do. Yeah. And like, yeah. Was there ever a time, like, if, as far as keeping it fresh and exciting, like, was there ever a time where you're like, Ugh, I'm done with the 10,000? Yes. Okay. So tell us more about that. Yeah, that's when I decided to run. The marathon, like it was during the pandemic, and I was trying to run a fast five thousand for kicks, and I was so uncomfortable, like trying to run faster again. And I was like, "Why am I? I'm like almost, I'm like thirty eight or thirty nine, and I'm like, why am I? This isn't working. Like it, it was really uncomfortable, and I was straining. And so when all of a sudden the Arizona marathon got announced, like it was like the only race there was. It was in December, and there was nothing else going on. So we thought, you know what, let's just freaking run a marathon and see how it goes. Because I was curious to see if I could handle it. I was always worried about getting injured and stuff. So um, we started doing marathon workouts in September. And I was like, Lynn was like, you just look so natural. Like, it's just coming easily to you. And I was like, it feels so much better. So I realized Mm -hmm. like, and it was so much, it was like new workouts, and it was so much fun because I was running PBs and like every workout and it just felt like I was running a new sport. It was so refreshing to do this. And so I was like addicted after that. And I still feel like, you know, I'm doing new work with coach Trent. I'm doing new workouts. And so it's been a lot of fun 
doing new things. Like when you're 41 and you've been in the sport for so long, I do feel like, you know, I'm trying new things. So to people out there, if you're getting sick of something, you know, switch it up. Try a different yeah. race. Do a freaking trail run. <laughs> How about an ultra? Yeah, Have yeah, you ever no. thought of doing something more than a, than a marathon? No. <laughs> I will probably get there. I always said I would never run a marathon. And then, yeah. you know, here I am five marathons later. So, <laughs> yeah. Never say never in no. running. There's always something yes. new. Yes. Yeah. I was typing to give in the background. I'm like, you have to ask her if, she, if she's ever going to run an ultra. Well, Krista Duchesne has the Canadian record of the 50K. There you go. Never, never say never. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, we are the Inspired Souls podcast. We always ask all of our guests, is there anyone who's particularly inspired you along the way in your running? Well, that's easy. It's Lynn. She's an absolute legend. And the things that she accomplished you know, back in the eighties, you know, with records that still stand today, like the 10 K road record is still hers in these like flimsy little flats. She's just incredible. And the way that she's such a part of the run community and she is always cheering for everybody. And she's just been by my side through some really tough times. I just, she's been a mentor of mine since I was a little girl. Um, so I've always looked up to her and I'm very lucky to, you know, have her in my life still. So Lynn, you know, I love you. <laughs> I love it. Like yeah. I, and I just love like the classiness of, of that transition that mm -hmm. how she made it so smooth for you over to Trent, but yet she's still kind of there and involved in, in your life. It's just, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the value of a good coach and you're absolutely speaking to that all throughout. It's, yeah. It's about yeah. so much more than just writing a program and emailing it to somebody Anyone yeah. can do that. Yeah. You can buy a program online, you know, like what really mm -hmm. makes a difference is the relationship you have with your coach and like, mm -hmm. what is their philosophy? What are their values? Like what are, mm -hmm. that's so important. And to, you know, have a shared focus and shared goals and just, and, and to have fun and to be able to like go for that brunch after and have a mimosa if you want to, like, yes, you know, absolutely. she understood I needed a glass of wine every once in a while. And she, yeah. <laughs> You know, she was there to have it with me. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. you know, we've had people on the show like Diane Palmason, the late Diane Palmason, a few other, you know, runners who have really left a lasting legacy in this sport. You're kind of in that place now where you've had people leave a legacy for you, but you've also had influence on younger runners as well. So going forward in the next few years, what kind of legacy do you hope to leave? on the running sport? That's a deep question. Um, deep question. Yeah. I think just like never giving up, you know, and that's very cheesy, but it, it's just so, and anything is possible. Like, you know, if someone had told me when I was 20 that in 20 years I was going to run the Canadian record in the marathon, I'm like, you're crazy, you know, but I believed in myself and I, you know, I kept trying. So I always want to like say to young girls, like, you're going to lose a lot, but, you know, don't give up. Keep persevering, keep believing. Sort of that motto that we have, like Mary's motto, anything is possible. And, you know, I don't know, just inspire young girls to, to follow their dreams and know that, like, there's no, there's no age limit on, mm -hmm. you know, your athletic ability and anything you want to do. You want to go back to school in your late 30s, do it, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to have kids in your early 40s, do it. I don't know, yeah. like, so. Exactly. Well, and you've, you've 
talked about your coaches and now you've talked about being a coach. So you, you have some athletes now, is that something you wanted to continue pursuing to stay kind of involved and in giving back to the sport? Yeah, your, absolutely. As you go into your forties. Yeah. yeah. I love it. It's been so much fun and I can't wait to do it. Like take on more when I'm done this like professional um, racing, but yeah, that's where I want to go when I'm done and coach little oh mini gosh. Natasha's. Yes. <laughs> People will feel so lucky to have you as their coach. Oh my gosh. Well, this has just been like an absolute awesome conversation. We've loved talking to you. If people want to learn more about you or follow along, where can they find you on the socials? Well, I'm on Strava, um, Mm -hmm. you know, telling people and run their easy runs easy. But yeah, (laughs) and do some cross training because it's fun. So I think it's just Natasha Wodak on Strava. And then I think the other Instagram and Twitter <clears throat> are Tasha Wodak. So you can find okay. me there. Okay. And do you go by Tasha? Did you, I've been calling you Natasha. Should I have been calling you Tasha this whole time? Sorry. You can call me whatever you want. Like <laughs> okay. my, my boyfriend calls me Natasha, which is bizarre. Okay. Everyone else calls me Tash or Tasha, but okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I post a lot of cats. So hopefully you guys like cats too. Yes. Cats. So final question. What's your favorite winery? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Martin's Lane. It's in Kelowna. Um, it, they have one of the best Pinot Noirs, I think, in the entire world. Ooh. Yes. Okay. Well, check that out. Hey, yes. I'm headed there. Hot tip. Off, so, yes. yes. It is, it is a, it's a little it bit out. exclusive, but okay. you gotta, you got to call ahead to see if you can get a, um, a tasting okay. there. Okay. Okay. Yes, okay. Yes. Or 50th, 50th parallel is very good too. I mean, I'm a wine club member there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds very elite and how fitting. How yeah, fitting for an elite athlete. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you again so, so much for your time. Huge congratulations on, on Berlin and everything that you've accomplished so far. We cannot wait to keep on following you and especially in London and just keep on being awesome, joyful, a fierce competitor and open to whatever this running world is going to offer you from here on in. So again, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. 